0: Amen. It's Christmas time. If you didn't, if you didn't get that idea yet coming this morning, you certainly get that spirit, don't you? It's beautiful, it looks wonderful, it gets us in the festive time of year. And you know the, the, the funnest part about Christmas is that it gets us at least once a year, it gets us all in that mood of really thinking outside of ourselves. Now, I know sometimes kids get wrapped up in themselves, but but most of us, especially as we get older, you know, the gift giving is about, is about bringing some joy to somebody else, isn't it? We like to watch somebody open a gift on Christmas morning, or maybe it's just, you know, you, you feel gracious and you want to give your pastor cookies during the Christmas time. <laughs> Peanut butter ones. <laughs> you know, anyway, something like that, you know, and you just feel generous and you give, and to see the joy... To see how, how, you know, what is it that makes somebody so happy, so joyous about receiving a gift? Most of the time, Christmas represents that time where the gift comes regardless of any effort or works, right? We, we give that gift because, not because somebody necessarily deserves it. I mean, we, we do say, you know, if you're not good, boys and girls, you know, you won't get it. You won't get your Christmas gifts. But I, want, I just want to ask you, honestly... How many people have ever given your kids coal for Christmas? Anyone? Really? Be honest now. I I just can't even see it. Like All the kids, all the brothers and sisters are ripping open gifts and playing with the trucks and the video games and the cool stuff and there's little Johnny. Got coal. (laughs) Trying to build blocks with it. It doesn't work very well. It's all over his mouth. It doesn't taste very good. We would be like, that would just break my heart to see one kid like that. So we don't do that, do we? Even if they've been naughty, oftentimes we still give them gifts, don't we? That's what grace is. Grace is about that part of God that gives to us generously, lovingly, to bring joy to us even though we don't necessarily deserve it. As a matter of fact, none of us really do. So we want to look at this concept of grace, and there's a wordplay for the title this morning. Grace works. Grace does work. It's not about works, it's about grace, and that's what we're reading. In Ephesians chapter 2, we looked last week at the difference between death and life, living life alive, and remember he made that contrast about before Christ, before receiving grace, you were dead. There was no hope. You were caught, trapped in this hopeless Decay of your own existence. And that's what we saw last week. But if you pick up with me um, right there in verse 8, Ephesians 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, let me just set the stage here, give you some help. How are we going to grow through this passage of Scripture? Well, there's this constant tension back and forth in the Christian life between grace and works. Grace is that God gives us forgiveness even when we don't do all the right things, we don't obey the laws, right? We still sin, but God still gives forgiveness through Jesus. That's called grace. Works are what we do. We choose to obey God or we choose to disobey God. Those, those are our works. And so where is grace and where is works? And we're going to get next week to this part talking about our good works as Christians. But before we do that, we have to start in the beginning where in verse 8 where it talks about the grace part. Before we build that foundation to understand works, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, let's just talk about what it takes to be saved. He says, for by grace you have been saved. Now, what does salvation mean there? We're going to look at salvation in two different ways this morning, two angles. The first one is this. There are no works required to receive this salvation. There are no works required. In other words, what you do, good or bad, how many times you sin, none of that is required in order to receive salvation. This salvation that he's talking about right here, he says it's for by grace you have been saved. And that word saved or salvation means to make whole, to to preserve or restore back to original intent and goodness. So when God created mankind, when he created us as humans, he had a plan and it was this wonderful plan. Stay with me here because this is big picture. There was this wonderful plan of God sharing himself with mankind in a very unique and special way. Intimacy with God, right? But then sin came into the picture, Adam and Eve sinned, and we are all born with that same nature of sin that we inherited from them. And so there's this problem now. There's this wall, this barrier. Now we we don't have what he wanted for us. We don't have intimacy and closeness with God because of our sin. So salvation means that we would be restored back to that place like when he created that he wanted for us to be as his special people very close and intimate knowing him and experiencing him and being with him forever so to be saved is restored healed made whole again right it does carry with it the idea of delivering from danger but it's so much more than that, our salvation. So our salvation, being saved, is shown in three parts here. Let's look at it in verse 8. I love this verse. It's so encouraging to me. For by grace. First of all, this forgiveness is by grace. Grace, that which he gives even though we don't deserve it. Right? If if I can... Draw an illustration for you. Can you imagine? I'm going to show you three illustrations here. The first one is right here. Could you imagine being in the middle of the ocean and there's no raft, ship, person, sign of anything for thousands of miles, right? They say that the furthest part from land is like 1,800 miles in the ocean and it's miles deep, right? And you're just there stuck, When you're stuck in the middle of the ocean, there's no hope. You can't like, well, I'll just swim for it. Right? That guy that swam across the the, the ocean took him five and a half months, but he was still coming in and sleeping at night on the ship, right? On the boat. And he was still eating. He's they still gave him food while he was swimming. So you don't have any of that. You are done. And eventually, they say, eventually, if you're just stranded out in the middle of the ocean, even if you're a strong swimmer, like, like me, I happen to be a very good sw- swimmer. I can, I can wade for hours in the ocean, float on my back. I can do all that stuff. But even the best of us, even Navy SEALs, at some point without rest, at some point without getting to land and being r- nourished and having water and all that stuff, your body gets so fatigued that there's a point at every drowning in which the person chooses death over fighting you just can you imagine being that fatigued like you just you give up you just put your arms down and you just slip into the depths and breathe in the water and drown that's what it's like to be in the middle of the ocean grace means that no matter who you are there's the ship with a life preserver you know those big rings and that thing is thrown out to you when you're in the middle of the ocean, regardless of what kind of person you are. When we're going to save somebody in the middle of the ocean, right? If, if you've ever been in this situation, man overboard drill, you know, whatever it is, and they're drowning and they've been there and they're starting to slip, nobody stops and goes, hey, have you been honest today before I throw this out to you, right? How many, how many cuss words did you say while you were down in that water Did you get your life all cleaned up? Do you promise never to do anything bad again? None of us think that way. The person is drowning. They're about to die. If we have the means of saving them, we just throw that life preserver out and do everything we can to draw them back in. That's grace. That's the nature of God that brings this offer of salvation to restore us. It's by grace. It does not depend on how good we are or how good we are not. It's offered because God loves and he sees us drowning in our sin and he knows that eventually we're going to slip off into eternity and and be forever past hope and it's his grace that moves him to say I'll throw you out a life preserver. Jesus, his death on the cross and his shed blood and here it is. No matter who you are, no matter what your church background is, Salvation is by grace. Then the next thing it says is that it's through faith. So it comes from God by grace, but we achieve it through faith. We obtain it by faith. And this is a very interesting concept. I want to I look at this a little bit because what does faith mean? Faith means to, to, to believe. And, and that's certainly true. To put faith in something, to put faith in God, means to believe in him. But the word actually means so much more, and you don't have to turn there if you don't want to. But I turn back to Acts chapter 16, and when when he first talked about this this faith that that saves us, and um, this is Paul and Silas in prison, and there's a miracle, and the jailers come and they, "Wow, we want to be saved. We want to come f- find God. We we don't want we don't want to be guilty of our sin. And what 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 must we do to be saved?" and And Paul's answer was, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What does it mean to believe? Well, it does refer to an understanding and a mental agreement. Jesus is the way for me to be restored. Jesus' death is what pays for all of my sins. It's his blood that covers my deficiency, my sin. He did it, and I believe that that's true. I believe that he did it for me. And that's the beginning point, but that's not where it ends, you see, because the Bible talks about many believe in Jesus and end up slipping off into eternity without hope. Even, James says, The demons of hell believe in Jesus. They know he's real. They know he died on the cross for sins. So there's an element of of, of mental understanding and agreement, but it goes beyond that because it really carries with it the idea of commitment. Now, Now, I'm not making this up. I want you to know that the word for faith or believe in this passage is related to the term that we use for fidelity in a marriage What's fidelity? Well, that's where one spouse stays faithful to the other spouse, right? And in and, and my marriage, I am committed to, I have decided to commit my life in marriage to just Julie and nobody else. And there's never a point where I will not consider that. It will always be Julie. It's not many other women, I've invested my life in marriage toward her, and I'm supposed to be faithful to that, and she's faithful to me as well. It's a very similar concept. We choose to believe that Jesus offers salvation through his death, but we also rely on it. We trust in it. We put our hope in it. His death for ours, right? It's, it's the idea of investing. Leaning on. You might say sitting in the boat of his salvation. You choose. Well, if that life preserver is thrown out to you, you can sit there and believe all day long that it can hold your weight. It's, it's big. It floats. If I grabbed onto it, it would save me. But just believing doesn't do it, does it? you got to reach out and grab it. you got to trust in it. Jesus' death is something that we reach out and grab, something that we trust in we we understand that 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 we're separated from god we understand that we're in need to be saved and it's our sin that's the problem and we understand that his blood understand that his blood is is that which covers our sins and all that's true but we have to be faithful to that by investing in it by relying on it by confessing it another analogy here at the grand canyon i don't know if you've ever seen the grand canyon or been there but at some points it's But 10 miles, I think at the widest point, it's 18 miles wide and really, really deep. And could you imagine in this illustration that you're on one side of the Grand Canyon. And that side of the Grand Canyon experienced uh, a geological anomaly. I don't want to say the E word because we're in Northern California. It scares everybody. A geological anomaly occurs and it begins, the earth begins to crumble. And have you ever seen those movies where the earth just sort of falls in itself and then there's always that hero character that's running, like, no! And the earth's falling away into the pits of hell and he's running from it and he jumps at the last minute and grabs onto something and barely makes it. You know that? Okay, well, this is the idea it's the Grand Canyon and all of that earth is caving in itself to destruction. There's no hope, but you got to get to the other side. And there's a, there's a tight wire to get to the other side, and there's a man willing to take you across in his wheelbarrow. And he's going to put the wheelbarrow on the wire and say, Come on, get in, because you can't jump that far. And, and, and you've seen him do it before on TV. Ripley's Believe It or Not or something, right? You saw it, and you know he can do it. But you have to make a choice. I believe he can do it, but do I believe to the point where I will actually get inside of it and trust my safety in the fact that it will get to the other side. That's what it means to believe. Jesus died on the cross, literally spilled his own perfect blood, not for his sins, but for yours and for mine. And if we will get inside his wheelbarrow, if you, if you will, His offer of forgiveness and salvation. And right in it, that will take us to restoration. Back to the place where God wanted us to be. Forgiven of our sins for eternity and with him forever. It's through faith. It's by grace. Comes regardless of how good we are or aren't. It's through faith we have to choose to believe, to grab on and to get inside. And say, yes, I'm trusting in it. And then he says, finally, through faith and that not of yourselves. Finally, it's not of ourselves. Now, on your outline card there, it says, it is not of. And instead of writing yourselves in there, am I right? Does it say that? Write myself. It is not of my. Make it personal. Your salvation is not of your own doing. There is nothing. Now, folks, we need to remember this because in church, there's some people that maybe have never been to church here this morning, and this might even be easier for you. People that grow up in church and have Christian church family, and they know the lingo and the secret handshake that you use when you walk in because they've always been part of church, and they know so-and-so, and and their family was here since that generation, right? And I was raised and baptized and went to Christian that and this and that and the other thing, and I've been around church. Sometimes we think that the reason we're saved is because we were just a little bit better than those that aren't. Because we had the advantages, and we took advantage of this or that, or or we we, 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 we were just, you know, we're not so given to sin like those people are, that are lost and without Christ. We were a little bit better, so we found salvation. You need to understand this. The Bible says salvation is not of you. None of it comes from you, or you, or me, or any person that has ever walked the planet. You have nothing to contribute to your own salvation. You are drowning, burning, slipping away, falling in your own over and over and over again, choosing to disobey God and miss his best. And that's who we are. That's what we bring to the table, all of us. He says, it's not of ourselves. Good thing, huh? Good thing, because all of us are sinners. All of us are guilty And need forgiveness equally. My analogy for this one um, let's imagine the Mojave Desert, right? That's pretty close by. I think it's 55,000 square miles. And somewhere in the middle of that is Death Valley. And Death Valley is like when you're in Death Valley, it's like 140 miles to get out of Death Valley. And even then, you're still in the Mojave Desert right? And it's another thousand or two miles or whatever it is to get out of the desert. And the desert just has, it's like very clearly a hostile environment, right? Not much there. They call it Death Valley for a reason, folks, right? It doesn't bring much life, not much hope. Could you imagine sticking a six-month-old in the middle of Death Valley and just sit him on his little diaper bottom right there and then you you get on your four-wheeler and trek out and leave the six-month-old there in the middle at noon in the summer in the middle of Death Valley in the middle of the Mojave Desert. And baby food and shelter and everything you need, baby, is on the other side of the planet in Shanghai, China. So you get there on your own. Now... That's pretty extreme, but I want you to walk through this exercise with me. How likely, how possible is it for that baby to develop some kind of a plan to get himself out of the middle of Death Valley, beyond the Mojave Desert, across the ocean to the other side of the world, to China, so that he can have his baby food jar and his bottle and shelter? How possible is that? Like, extremely not possible. Are you with me? Like, that is so far beyond the expectation. There's no way, you can't finagle that in such a way to say, I know, he could do this. It's just not going to happen. It's not, his salvation, his getting to where he needs to go on the other side of the planet is considered to be, in this case, not at all of himself. Somebody has to come and pick him up and find ways that he had no ability to find on his own to take him there. That's the way our salvation is. We are hopelessly stranded in this self that can never get to God on our own, no matter what we do. Just as stranded as that infant or that six-month-old is in the middle of Death Valley. There's no way. Like, if you go to church every once in a while. No, that won't do it. If you try to be a better person, try to, you know, be honest more, clean up your life, that won't do it. You're still selfish. You still choose to think immoral thoughts. You still put your needs before others. That's our nature. We looked at that last week. Before Christ, we were dead and there was no hope of life. No spiritual life possible. salvation, being saved from that, being brought to life, comes by God's grace through faith and not at all of ourselves. Now, why is this important to understand? Because we're talking about in Ephesians, our identity, who we are as believers in Christ. And by the way, if you've never gotten in the wheelbarrow, of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, if you're still relying on some other means other than Jesus' blood for forgiveness, I got news for you. You only have one choice. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you too will be saved forever. Forgiveness will come to you if you believe, if you trust if you reach out and grab him. And that's who we are then in Christ. Our identity is that. You see, you see, just like the, the, the person who, who was saved in the ocean with, with the life preserver ring, could not come out of that ocean, you know, last few minutes of, of breath, and, and, and by a miracle saved, and then come up to the ocean, and then stand there and boast and say, yeah, I'm, I, I was a really good swimmer, i I'd swam swam event and I was really good at treading water. <laughs> That's the reason I made it. You know, everybody on the boat would go, what? Are you kidding? You, you were drowning. We threw a life preserver to you. There's nothing that you did. In the same way as if we got in the wheelbarrow, even if we weren't perfectly still and we were a pain in the neck in that wheelbarrow, scared, shaking, leaning one far, one direction too far and, and being difficult for the person carrying, it doesn't matter all of our salvation is in the ability of that person in the wheelbarrow. It had nothing to do with us. And the baby, if he did get to the other side of the world, could you imagine the baby saying, yeah, because I know how to fly 747, and I come from a family that's really good at enduring heat, and we're hikers. We were outdoorsmen in our family. That's why I made it. We would just go, no. That's ridiculous, right? Right? Isn't that ridiculous? Am I the only one? Do like this, something. Okay, it's silly. It's ridiculous. You can't make that claim. It's not real. It's not part of your real experience. And in the same way, you cannot sit here today, believer in Christ, and claim that your salvation has anything to do with your own ability and your skill and your personality and your upbringing or anything. It's only by the grace of God. It's only By faith, you choose to trust. And listen, that understanding and that perspective keeps us humble. And Paul is saying to the church, this is how you should be. Humble. Dependent on Jesus. Grateful. Oh, church, if we were truly grateful for our salvation, I think many of us would have different lives. I think the church in America today would look drastically different if the church in America every single day woke up and was just passionately caught up with thanksgiving because none of their salvation came from themselves. It only came from the grace of God and it's only by the grace of God that they have eternal life. And how much more should we be a good steward of that life and, and enjoy the opportunities of being restored and healed when we see How impossible it was outside of his grace. That's who you are. That's your identity in Christ. There are no works required to receive your salvation. Now I want to take you to the second point. It says, um, we're still reading in Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's God's gift. Not of works. He's, he's reiterating that point, by the way. Lest anyone should boast. See it? Don't try to claim any of it for yourself. It's not you. There are also no works required to keep your salvation. If it comes by grace as a gift of God, let me tell you something. God does not take back his gifts. The Bible says it this way. The gifts of God are irrevocable. That means he doesn't take them back. Christmas morning and your your child, your son, your daughter, grandchild, nephew, whatever it is, they get up and there's that one gift and it's just like Man, Dad, I wanted this thing oh, I've been wanting this all year. And, you, you know, I mean, they're all of a sudden they love you so much. Dad, you're the best in the whole world. I'll never disobey you again. I'm, I'll be good, I promise. Why? I have this awesome PlayStation or iPad or new phone or Tonka truck or Barbie doll, whatever it is, right? Could you imagine, as a mom or a dad... Later on that afternoon, you know, Christmas afternoon is all about playing with that new toy. Until it gets discarded a couple weeks later. But but for now, that's everything, right? Could you imagine as a mom and dad walking in to their bedroom, snatching it out of their hand, putting it back in the wrapper, saying, you know what? This is going back to, back to the store. Forget it. You're not worthy of it. I changed my mind. Do you? you know how deflated that child would be? How unsure of their relationship with you? Like, wait a minute, you mean you mean so I have to perform for you to love me? Or I don't understand, where did it, you gave it to me even though I'm just who I am and now you're saying that's not right. What kind of uncertainty, what kind of Depression, fear, unstable emotionally. Hey, guess what? That's not who you are. You and I, my friend, enjoy security. When God gives the gift of salvation and you trust Him, you reach on to that life preserver. And his death becomes for your sins and you believe and trust and claim that for you. That is a gift that's given to you. Listen to me carefully, friend. That will never, ever be taken away. Doesn't matter what you do. Are are we supposed to be good after salvation? Yes. If we're not, do we lose that salvation? No. No. Because it's by grace not of works our security is really found in three different pictures in the bible three different elements let me show them to you quickly the first one is found in first john if you want to turn there first john chapter five our security is in jesus christ himself in the person of jesus that's how secure you are listen carefully 1 John 5, 11 says this. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. Okay? That's your gift. Forgiveness through Jesus. He's given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. That's Jesus. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. You see? Your, Your forgiveness... Your salvation is only dependent on if you have trusted and bought into Jesus. If you have Jesus. If you have him, you have eternal life. If you don't have him, you don't have eternal life. And as secure as Jesus' promise is, His promise. I want you to listen to the next words. These things I have written to you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. These things I have written to you so you don't have to keep wondering and when you mess up and stumble and sin that you don't have to wonder if, if, if it's enough to lose that gift in salvation, if you have to overcome something to regain it. You see, he's saying it's not in your works. It never was. It never will be. It's in the Son, Jesus Christ. And if you have Jesus, you have salvation. You see, you were drowning, and Jesus reached down. Now watch this. He was the life preserver. And when you said, yes, Jesus... You died for me on the cross and I accept, I believe. And you reached out and you snatched his hand and he pulled you up out of the water. Listen to me carefully. It doesn't matter how weak you are, how slippery your hand is. It doesn't matter how much you weigh, how far you think you have to go. Jesus Christ will never, ever let you go. He's got you. You trusted, you believed, you accepted. And now all of your keeping... Strength is in his ability, his love, his grace, not your own. There are no works required to keep your salvation. Our security is in the person of Jesus Christ. There's a second picture the Bible gives us. Our security is in the blood. Colossians chapter 1, listen carefully if you want to turn there. I'm in verse 14. Right, listen to what it says. Our security is in the blood. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Time out. Just just look up this way, real quick, church. When the Bible says He, God, has delivered us from the power of darkness, that means you were drowning and you reached out and you took His hand and He saved you. You were guilty of your sin. And you couldn't get to God because of your sin. But he's paid for your sin through Jesus and you accepted. You got in the wheelbarrow. That's what it means here. And conveyed us into a kingdom of the son of his love. Now we have life. In whom we have redemption. We've been redeemed. Saved. Purchased. Through his. Say it with me. Blood the forgiveness of sins through his blood. Sin you see that's the problem sin is the problem guys. Sin is what causes us to drown. Sin demands a payment that is only satisfied by blood. The spilling of life sacrifice the not guilty paying the price for the guilty by giving his own blood that's the way God chose for sin debt to be paid that's the means now now listen it's not your own blood like you if you're the sinner if you're the one drowning you can't cut yourself and spill your own blood because what it takes is spilling all of your blood until death And then you're dead, and you died in your sins, and you're separated from God for eternity. So you can't atone for your own sins by spilling your own blood. Your blood's sin-filled. Your blood is contaminated. Your blood comes from sin nature. It's not good enough. It never will be. Hebrews chapter 9 talks about this. I want to make sure you understand that these are biblical truths, so that's why I'm reading them to you from the Bible, okay? I'm not making this stuff up. You really can be secure. Listen, talking about the blood. Christ came as high priest of good things to come. With the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands of this creation. Not, listen, with the blood of goats and calves. But with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all. Having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You see what he's saying there? he's referring to that old testament sacrificial system the blood of goats and heifers remember and god said to the children of israel when they were in the in the de, in the desert in the in the wilderness wandering and he and he, he met them in the tabernacle and he said listen you're going to sin you're not going to obey my commandments and and there's got to be a problem so we're going to we're going to provide a, a solution it's a temporary solution and what he said was, if you will, if you, the priest, the high priest, will will lay hands on the animal, the sacrificial animal, and confess the sins for the, all the people, God said the sins will be transferred from the people to the animal, innocent animal, and then when all the sins are transferred to the animal, then you slit its throat and you sling and fling his blood everywhere. It's a literal gory bloodbath on the altar. There's just blood everywhere. All of the blood comes out. And it's messy, and it's ugly, and it's a little bit horrifying. So God shows the image to his people. That's what your sin does, that mess. It kills innocence but the animal paid for it with his blood. And so for a temporary season, your sins are then forgiven. And, and that was true, but you see what he's saying? Now that Jesus has come, church, now that Jesus, who lived a sinless, perfect life on his own, never sinned once, he, he said, now he goes into the heavenly tabernacle, and his own blood then is applied, and he's saying, listen, how much more shall the blood of Christ atone for your sins than that temporary sacrifice of the animal? His blood is superior. It's better than yours. Why? Because it never sinned. It's pure. It's better than the animal. Why? Because he did it willingly, he chose. It's superior blood. That's why, listen, that's why you're secure in your salvation. That's why it can never be taken from you. Because this isn't some temporary blood of an animal that was spilled on your behalf. It was the blood of the Son of the living God. And it's perfect. And nothing else is needed. His blood is superior. His blood is permanent. Once for all, It said. He walked in and applied his own blood. That day you trusted Christ as Savior. And by the way, if you've never done that, this is what you you need to do right here. You call out to God. And you say, God, it's my sin that separates me. And you say, if I take all of my sin, past, present, future, everything that is sin nature within me, and you will offer to put it on Jesus' shoulders, just like the high priest did passing on the sins to the animal. And then when all of my sins are transferred, you're saying, you're offering that his spilling of his blood and his death was the payment for all of my sins that he took upon himself and paid on my behalf. Now listen, I want to tell you something that happened for you at great cost to God. Great cost. He's not going to do it again. One time is enough for all the sins of every person for their whole life. It's not as if when I sin, then then I have to go back again and Jesus has to die on the cross again for me. It only happens once. Why? Because it's in the blood. Perfect, superior, permanent blood of Jesus. That no animal, no sacrifice could have done on our behalf. Finally, Our security is in the new birth. I'm giving you three stakes to drive in the ground here about your security. The first one is that your security is in the person of Jesus Christ. He doesn't change. He doesn't take away your gift. He's good enough. The second one is in his blood. It's the blood that covered your sins, and it's his permanent, perfect blood. It's superior blood. You don't have to worry about it being temporary or not working anymore. The Bible says that. And the third one is that you are born again. John chapter 3, Jesus is answering a question from Nicodemus. Nicodemus wants to know okay, if you're Messiah, if you're Savior, how do I get to God? What's the right answer here? What's the solution to the problem? Jesus answered in verse 3 and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus is saying, okay. So if I want to get to God and take care of this problem that I keep sinning even though I don't want to, I want to get that problem out of the way. I have to be born again, and then I will be part of the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, like you and I, is a little bit confused maybe, and he says, well, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Watch this, church. I want to teach you something right here. This is how to interpret your Bible too, okay? Watch this. Jesus uses a very common physical event To show us a spiritual analogy. He does it for a reason. So we can follow the details of the physical event. And we can make that transfer of application over into the spiritual event. The physical event is birth. The infant, the child that's born physically from mom. The spiritual event is being forgiven of your sins. And entering into forgiveness, new life, the kingdom of God. Salvation. Okay? So he says... Specifically and intentionally, it's like being born again because he wants Nicodemus to go, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. How can that happen? Like, I'm already a grown-up, I'm already an adult. How can I be born again? Like, like does that conjure up some kind of an image in your mind? Like crawling back up inside mother's womb. I'm sure mom wouldn't appreciate that. I know you wouldn't appreciate that. Right? It's impossible. Can't happen. It only happened one time. Now watch this. Jesus then answers him. Based on that observation, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but can't tell where it's coming from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. He's saying, your forgiveness, your salvation is like being born. Well, what do we know from physical birth that we can apply to this? First of all, it has a very distinct beginning. Right? At some point, baby is in the womb. Labor process begins, by the way in spite of what baby wants, the baby has no control, labor begins, and the baby is moved beyond his own will through the birth canal, and mom gives birth, and at one point she's pregnant with with fetus, and at the very next instant when the baby is born, the baby takes on its own life. And they cut the umbilical cord and the first breath happens, remember? The miracle of birth and all these wonderful things happen. There was a very distinct beginning point to that birth. He didn't evolve over several years into being born. He was not born one minute and the next minute he was born. Your salvation happens the same way at an instant in time when you choose to grab hold of salvation, the preserver, when you choose to reach out and accept Jesus' death for your own sins, and you grab onto his hand and he yanks you up out of your drowning, hopeless life, at that point there is a very distinct beginning to a whole new life for you. Spiritual life. You are born spiritually At that very instant. The forgiveness of God brings the spirit of God and the life of God, which you never experienced before. You become a child of God for the first time. It has a distinct beginning. The second thing is also important. As Nicodemus pointed out, this natural birth process never happens twice. Right? He even says, how can that happen? Don't, guys, don't you know Jesus knows exactly what he's doing here? Like he didn't just grab this, I know, I'll use birth as the analogy. And then, oh, wow, as he's telling the analogy, this works really well. I'm glad I picked this one. He knew what he was doing. He's showing us something. He's showing Nicodemus something that we learn, and that is once you are born of the Spirit of God, you've been already been born in the flesh, you can't be up, go back up in mom's womb and be born again and again and again. That's physically true. The spiritual birth is the same way. Once you are born spiritually, once you have received the Spirit of God, you don't go back in, even in your sin, back to a place of being lost and hopeless and then back into being saved and forgiven and back to lost and hopeless. You don't, you're not born over and over again. You have the Spirit of God for eternity dwelling in you and you are now a new creature. Your works whether they're good or bad, don't ever threaten the Spirit of God from leaving you. No more. We are secure in our salvation. If we've been saved, listen to me carefully, you are now a child of God. And even though you may disappoint God at times, and even though God may, just like we do with our children, choose to discipline, He will never, ever let you go again to where you're no longer His child. You've been adopted. You've been accepted. You've been redeemed. By God's grace. That's who you are. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word and the new life that we have and share in Jesus Christ. And I'm just praying this morning. Folks, as you're praying, heads are bowed, eyes closed, please. You're, just pray to God. If there is anyone here, this may be you, And you've never trusted, you've never settled the issue of, have you been forgiven of your sins? Have you been born again? Have you been saved? And this morning, you just need to settle that issue. Is it your heart this morning to reach out? And you're drowning in your own sin and your own weakness and your own abilities. And you just want to grab hold of the life preserver, Jesus Christ. And his death for your sins. Do that right now. Reach out and accept. Father, I know that I sin, and it's my sin that keeps me from you. This morning, I believe Jesus, your son, died for me, spilled his blood for my sins, and this morning, I choose to trust and receive your gift of forgiveness and salvation. Save me right now, I confess you. Did you pray that prayer? Did you accept? Did you trust Him? Now listen, if you did, at any point in your life, that will never change for you. You can rest in the grace of God knowing that you are forgiven. we proclaim and confess how humble that makes us this morning. It's not of ourselves. It never was. And you just, by your grace, have allowed us to live a new life, be forgiven, and, and then to extend forgiveness. Forgive me for not giving others grace when I live in your grace every day. Forgive me for loving those in my family and in my life conditionally, making them perform to some standard before I love them. But that's not who I am. You love me unconditionally. This morning I choose to rest, to stand firm with boldness and confidence. Humility and meekness. Knowing that my life is unto you. You saved me. Thank you for grace. We love you and we worship you, God. We pray in Jesus' name.
1: going to take time and ask the ushers to come forward and I just want to pray for our offering this morning and if you'd bow your heads with me well Father we Father God we just come to you and just thank you for that grace Lord thank you for loving us so much we just pray that you will continue just to provide for this church Lord that these time that we can give back to you just some of the provisions that you've given to us during the week, Lord. May we use them, gifts that you give to us appropriately, back to the community, back to this church, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity. We ask that uh, you would also just bless those that are in need of your touch today, Lord. Many people are hurting in our world. or Many people are in need of you, Jesus. Many people need a healing touch. We thank you that you do that in your name, Lord. So we ask again now, Lord Jesus, that we may be cheerful givers back to you. And We ask these things in your name. Amen.